Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. I am the great Brian Last. It's my pleasure to be with you once again as me and Mike Mills will look at Mid-South Wrestling Television from May 29th, 1982. But before we get to Boyd Pearson, Bill Watts, I mentioned him before, Mike Mills from Booking the Territory is here once again with me as we go through this fine, fine episode of Mid-South Wrestling. Mike, how you doing this week? I'm good. Been looking forward to this one actually for a while, considering we got some more Paul Ellering. Power! We got a debut. Power! I mean, <laughs> we got a debut. Um, we've got we've got actually two debuts actually now that i think about it so this one should be fun i mean because we got some new stuff going on so i'm doing great ready to rock and roll get this uh get this thing going i'm looking through my notes as i hear you say that we indeed do have two debuts here this week on the show and uh let's get right to it let's get right to the action let's hear the open of the show boyd pierce and once again the oklahoma stampeder cowboy bill watts Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and we have a tremendous card. You'll see popular Ted DiBiase going against the Mess Grappler. Also, Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch is here. All the top stars, including the Mid-South Tag Team title holders, Mr. Olympia and the Junkyard Dog, Bob Roop, the Assassin, the Muscular Mike Sharp, 454-pound one-man gang, all the top stars, and we also have our top guest commentator cowboy bill watts with us well thank you Boyd pierce should be an exciting day here on mid-south wrestling we have an unusual event we have a man having his first professional match on television a youngster named steve dr death williams the people that have followed amateur wrestling for four years certainly know him he's a four-time heavyweight all-american at oklahoma university the starting guard for the oklahoma university football team and he will be able to play amateur football next year so he'll still be competing for barry switzer's oklahoma sooners but he'll be wrestling pro and today is his debut but a lot of exciting things happening of course precious paul ellering a guy who everybody just has to kind of take to because he's so unusual he was injured he had a knee surgery at the same clinic that ernie ladd had his surgery he came back and it was re-injured and he went back and had it operated on again. And he's been rehabilitating and says in July he'll be ready. But right now he's been working out with kids. You know, I think it's great that people that donate their time for the kids and enjoy children and, and realize that strong bodies make strong minds in a strong country. Let's watch precious Paul Ellering as he works with these children in the military press. So there's the opening and there's a lot of things happening. Bill Watson been building up Dr. Death Steve Williams for a long time. We finally get to see him here this week. And speaking of buildups, once again, they build up precious Paul Ellering working out with children once again here on the show. Mike, how many different things have we seen now with Paul Ellering in terms of his workouts? Well, we saw the ridiculous one. What were they doing where uh, the, the seated uh, or the weighted sit-ups and then Ellering came off the or had the guys come off the top <laughs> rope right. and jump onto his stomach. And Reeser Bowden was like, wow, that's definitely unique. And, or I can't remember what he said. And then we had him. <laughs> we had him last week. Um, you know, he had the two plus size women on his back as he did push ups and. And Reeser or I can't remember if it was Reeser or Paul was like, try that one off for size after dinner. So we've seen a couple of instances where Paul Ellering is doing just some insane workouts. And let me just say this. I wouldn't question Ellering's knee injury at all up until today with his workouts because I don't think he did anything that would have been hard on the knee. However, today's workout, as we'll get to in a second, to me, 
has a chance of being a little bit stressful on the knees, not all the way, but just a little bit. Uh, but I, but I want to mention one thing before we go to that and you tell me what you think. Watts describes precious Paul Ellering as unique. That is a great way to put it, Bill, but um, a little insane, a little wacko, maybe in the character he's playing, but definitely unique, but maybe a couple of more other uh, superlatives. Let's now go to this clip that we've uh, teased a little bit here. Precious Paul Ellering. We'll talk about it on the other side. In many ways, I'm surprised this got on the air. But let's now go to this, the latest installment in the Precious Paul Ellering workout series. The spotlight, once again, is on Precious Paul Ellering. And as usual, Precious Paul has a couple of boys here to work with and try to show these people how to develop a body such as he has. That's right. You know, Reeser, Precious Paul works out 24 hours a day. And I want all these good-looking kids to start working out so they can look like Precious Paul. Precious Paul wakes up in the morning and does some lip-ups. I, and then in the morning, I do some chin-ups, and in the afternoon, I do some more lip-ups, and then in the evening, I do some push-ups, and before I retire, I do some more lip-ups. And now we're going to do some military press. Come on. That's 65 pounds. Sixty-five pounds, and I think that is extremely good. We should pause this for one second, Mike, just to let people know while Pac-Man Fever is playing, Paul Ellering is working out with two young men, and he's having them take a bar a uh, and press 65 pounds above their head. Is that the best way to describe this? Yeah, they're basically doing a stand-in military press. They're not seated. They're standing up upright, and they're doing military press uh, in in the front military press with a barbell with 65 pounds. The second kid did quite well, but he is a much older young man, maybe looks like be 12 years old or something. The first kid, that poor kid— uh, the 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 little white kid, if you if you're watching along, he had no business trying to military press 65 pounds. But that's just my personal opinion, as Paul Ellering did a lot of the work for him. But you are accurate in saying that it is a standing military press. Let's go back to more Pac-Man Fever and Precious Paul Ellering. 65 pounds, and I think that is extremely good. It's about as much as that young man weighs. Rhythm, don't he? He can do it. Go. All right. All right. Good. He'll build those muscles quickly like that. All right. Now, Precious Paul is taking the weights off of that bar and he's putting it onto another bar up here on the stand. Reeser, this is going to be 300 pounds. Precious Paul's going to do it five times. That makes 1,500 biggies. This is what happens after you work out with those weights for a while. 300 pounds on that bar. Precious Paul says that he'll do three repeti- uh, five repetitions with 300 pounds in the military press. Number two. There's three. And five. 
didn't quite make that fifth one. The 300 pounds. Hey, you can't kick that 1,200 biggies. My grandpa used to say 1,200 is better than 1,500 any day. All right. Any way you look at it, that's a lot of weight. When you set a goal, you always set a goal that's a little higher than you can attain. And I think Precious Paul did a great job. And considering Boyd Pierce, he's had knee surgery and doesn't know how hard he can trust that leg. Still, he did four reps with that 300 pounds. Now let's go to the ring for somebody that will really be out to test his opponent with DiBiase and the grappler. Well, as they just said it, Paul Ellering tries to do five reps of 300 pounds in the military press, and he reaches fatigue in the midst of the fifth one, so he doesn't complete it. Of course, as his uncle told him, I believe he said, 1,200's better than 1,500. I don't know what that means or (laughs) why they would say that, but uh, there we go. This time, Paul Ellering is not able to complete his task. Okay, hold on a second. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We've been having fun with this. This is utterly insane. It's just, I don't know what else to say. There's there, there's nothing else I can really say when it comes to this, but Ellering says he does lip-ups at the beginning of it, and he goes every time he says lip-ups, <laughs> and each time he says it, Reeser Bowden looks at the camera and smirks. He can't, you'll never see it through, you know, through the audio of this of this podcast, but it's hilarious because he goes, I do lip ups every day. And he goes, and each time Reeser just looks at the camera and smirks. It's, it's freaking awesome. Um, every single time he does it like three or four times because Reeser is so freaking amused. They like, that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, he, he's got supposedly this knee injury. I don't see how doing like a military press of your seated, is is bad for you but he's he's doing them and he's using his legs and it just seems kind of dangerous but i'm no doctor have no medical medical degree obviously but this is i don't know what else to say these these segments just get more bizarre or as bizarre weekly and we haven't even got to the pull-up one yet which we'll see at some point Uh, maybe it's next week i can't quite remember but anyway brian your thoughts well i'm glad we don't have any more Olivia Newton-John physical. I'm glad we at least moved past that, although Pac-Man fever was an interesting choice. Every time Paul Ellering brought up his lip-ups, Reeser Bowden reacted the way you said he reacted, and the older kid just starts laughing. He realizes how ridiculous this whole thing is. And you're right. Watching Ellering do the military press, his form, again, I'm, I, you know, I, I used to do a little bit of bodybuilding, but I'm certainly, I was never uh, in the shape that Paul Ellering is here. But his form looks really bad specifically with his legs, with his knees, and the pressure he's putting on them as he's attempting to do this. And, of course, he fatigues. Uh, This is probably the biggest disaster he's had in terms of working out since Reeser Bowden lost count during the Persian Club Challenge way back months ago here on the show. (laughs) I would say so. But poor, poor Reeser here. Actually, I don't know if it's poor Reeser. I think Reeser has given us some something else. I mean, this this whole workout thing is bizarre in itself. I mean, we kind of talked last week about why Watts may have had him doing this. But so that's bizarre in itself. But Reeser takes it to a new level of being more bizarre by his reactions. Would you agree with that? Yeah, his reactions really kind of make this. And even as it's happening, he starts, I guess, talking to the two kids who just worked out. He goes, you see, this is what happens when you work out every day or whatever he said. (laughs) I mean, all of a sudden he's like, you see, pay attention to Precious Paul. 
He's a very serious yeah. man. And, you know, it's like you said. I mean, he just stands there bemused while everything's happening. Guys are jumping off the top rope on the Paul Ellering stomach, and he's just, yes, that is indeed a stomach. You know, like, it, it, that's it. That's the level of what you get from Reeser, but it's perfect. Uh, yeah, it is, man. <laughs> More to come on Ellering and his workouts, though. Well, from there, let's move on to some actual wrestling, Mike. The first match on this show, this is a main event caliber match in any arena in the country, quite literally. Ted DiBiase versus The Grappler. Alfred Neely is the referee. And one of the things, we're not going to play this audio, Bill Watts, on audio, on commentary, goes through the entire history between Ted DiBiase and The Grappler. Because, of course, they did have a long history in Mid-South Wrestling, which led to The Grappler having the loaded boot. It was, you know, him feuding with DiBiase, which led to that. So it gives Watts a great opportunity to go over their history. And we're going to play a little bit of audio here, Mike, of the finish of the match. And a lot goes on. So let's play this, and then we'll talk about it on the other side, and I will let you do your best to try to explain all this. Went for the elbow. His momentum had already stopped before he could check himself. Grappler rolled out. Oh! They exploded. Looks like the grappler got the worst end of it. Referee Ralph Neely starting the 10 count. The assassin, the assassin on the scene, apparently calling for a timeout, Boyd Pierce, saying the grappler is injured because a 10 count, the first man to his feet, would have won the match. DiBiase, not knowing what the assassin doing, but knowing that he's trouble, knows that the best defense is a good offense, and he's attacked. Ralph Neely trying to stop it. The assassin brought it into the ring. It's not a DQ because DiBiase, he better watch the grappler from behind. There comes Ernie Land. The grappler loading that boot. Ladd caught him with that chair. Ernie Ladd struck back. And DiBiase took the advantage all the way home. Look at the crowd, Boyd Pierce. They're going wild as Ted DiBiase covered the grappler. You saw what happened. Big Ernie Ladd shows why he could be All-American in any league. He knows what to take advantage. He does, and he did, and we'll be back with a special interview when we return after this word from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Well, Mike, before we get to the angle, it's interesting. Watts keeps calling referee Alfred Neely Ralph Neely throughout the program, but uh, that's a minor point here. A lot going on here at the end of the match. I want to get your thoughts, but one thing I have to point out, when DiBiase hits that scoop power slam on the grappler, he is so low to the ground that if you watch that again, if the grappler was in the wrong position just a little bit, he would have broken his neck right there. That's how close to the ground DiBiase was for that scoop slam. He was very close, which actually, it, to the point you're making, it actually makes it look even that much more devastating because how quick he snapped him around and got him. But this was just, you know, before even before the finish, I mean, you've got two of the best wrestlers in Mid-South right here. It, at least in my opinion, the grappler, the way he bumps, I've talked about this in the past, everything he does matters and everything he does makes sense and everything he does just looks exceptional. And together, they're like magic. I mean, they, they, there's a, the grappler does a neck breaker in this match. I mean, it's just a thing of beauty to watch him, the way he snaps around and hits uh, DiBiase with it. But in the finish, these, they have this crazy collision as they're running the ropes in the middle of the ring and it's so hard they smack each other grappler tumbles outside the ring that's when the assassin comes down you know he he's down there dibiase sees the assassin and, and begins to attack him as the assassin's trying to call for timeout for like help for the grappler alfred neely it looks like he's calling for the bell but i really can't tell 
So the grappler then, he gets back in the ring, and now he's loading the boot because DiBiase and the assassin are going at it. Ernie Ladd runs out, and he grabs a chair. He hits the grappler from the outside of the ring. That's how tall Ernie Ladd is. He's literally standing on the outside of the ring, and he's still able to get the chair over the top rope to kind of catch the grappler in the back. Grappler, as you said, just falls right into DiBiase, who is waiting to give him that big power slam. And to the point you made, he's really close to the ground, but it snapped so quickly that it really looked powerful and devastating. And I really, I thought a nice little finish to a match that was a real good one between two of the better wrestlers you'll ever see in Mid-South Wrestling. There are a couple fans I noticed during this match. They're a little bit up in the bleachers. It's a blonde girl and one of her friends, I would assume. And when DiBiase and the grappler collide, like you talked about earlier, they turn to each other and cover their mouths. You know, they can't believe they go, oh, my God, you know, he, that was so hard. So, I mean, I love seeing little things like that where it really is a fairly simple spot, but it got the exact reaction you would want to get from someone who saw that and thought, oh, my God, these guys are messed up. It's because, one, when you watch the grappler sell it, I mean, he looks like he's been shot with a 12-gauge, the way he, like, hits DiBiase and flies away. DiBiase takes that nice, quick bump, and then grappler, boom, he's out the ring. And it just, when you look, you're like, wow, they just hit each other. So, again, I mean, we know wrestling's a work, but it's like, holy crap, those guys just had a train wreck. They collided, and did either one of them survive? It just, again— Little thing, it looked good. Nobody's flying off of a 15-foot ladder to kill themselves, but it looks devastating. I, I, it's, there's no other way to put it. it. It looks just that strong and devastating. I wish there were more DiBiase grappler matches, especially the house show matches available, but uh, we'll move on from here, Mike. And um, Actually, I did not write down who won the match. Who won the match? I guess DiBiase won with the uh, power yeah. slam. Yeah. Yeah, DiBiase won. DiBiase won with the power slam, and um, that was it. The only thing, the only other thing I had from it that was really weird was it seemed that like Alfred Neely was trying to like call for the bell, but at the end of the day, he ends up just counting the pinfall when DiBiase scoop slams, uh, power slams grappler. These referees are out of control. We'll talk more about that in the weeks (laughs) ahead. But from here, Mike, one of the two debuts you mentioned at the top of the show we're about to get. Bill Watts sets up an interview with General Skandar Akbar, Risa Bowden conducting the interview, and Akbar has with him Hangman Rick Harris, and of course we would later go on to know him better as Black Bart in various places, from being a world champion in world class to wrestling for Jim Crockett Promotions, and later on underneath for the World Wrestling Federation. He's a lot cooler as Hangman Rick Harris than he ever was as Black Bart, I have to say that. But let's go to this interview right now with General Skandar Akbar, and Bill Watts will set it up for us right here. Well, Boyd Pierce, during the commercial break, the grappler had a little problem getting his motors under him. You know when somebody 6'9", 320, pops you with a steel chair, I think it more than gets your attention like they used to have to do those Missouri mules. But I think Ernie Ladd has decided the knee is well, and he's back, and they better beware. And Ted DiBiase helped him. Ernie repaid the favor. Now, another man who's a target of a lot of animosity by Skandar Akbar is Captain Redneck, Dick Murdoch. And Akbar said he found somebody else that'd like to try the big one on for size. And let's listen to that pre-taped interview with Skandar Akbar and Hangman Rick Harris. As you well know, General Skandar Akbar is always on the lookout for new talent. Recently, he was in the big sky country in Montana, and he found some very impressive talent. Let me introduce the Hangman, simply call the Hangman, because that's his specialty breaking necks. Now, I want to get a couple of points clear. This man is not a member of the Army. He's just a big, tough, rugged individual to be reckoned with. 
Now, there's some misconception about bounty matches. This is not a bounty man. I do not deal in bounties. Bounty is a dirty, dirty, vile word. However, if this man can produce and hurt Captain Redneck, I might just add a nice, sizable bonus. So remember the name, the hangman from the big sky country. He's here for you, Captain Redneck. Well, we'll just have to see what does happen. Of course, a few weeks back, Skandar Akbar brought Jim Duggan or Hacksaw Duggan in to go against Murdoch. And now the hangman, Rick Harris. Yeah, this is this is interesting. Let me let me explain why Akbar. One of the reasons why Akbar is such a good heel here. Akbar says he doesn't deal in bounties, but if Harris can hurt Murdoch, then he will pay him accordingly. Well, that's great, Akbar. It basically sounds like you're lying, and it literally <laughs> is a bounty, but you're not calling it one because you're a devious heel and you're a liar. So we'll go with it. But I, it, I just I love that little twist where oh yeah, no, I, I don't deal in bounties; they are vile. But but if but if Harris can hurt Murdoch, I'll, I'll be more than happy to throw him a couple of extra pennies. Well, that that is a bounty. I hate to tell you, but it is a bounty. So I I thought this was fine. I like that. Akbar did all the talking and Hangman Harris didn't. I, I will. Re- I remember this seeing this as a kid, Brian, just to kind of put it in perspective as a, a young child. I, I I had no clue that later on in life, uh, this will sound crazy, but later on, I remember seeing then um, good old shoot the, the name slipping my mind Black now. Bart. What the hell? Black Bart. <laughs> How could I forget? Uh, I remember seeing Black Bart later on on like TBS and then obviously in world class and whatnot and. I had no idea. I know it sounds crazy, but when you're a kid, I don't know if you have that perspective. I didn't realize it was Bart um, until much later in my life. But, yeah, this was uh, – you know, I'm glad Hangman Harris doesn't do any talking and Akbar does all the talking here because it was a good heel promo. A good heel promo, relatively short, but gets the point across. And from there we go to Hangman Rick Harris versus Dick Murdoch. This is a fun match. I really actually enjoy this match. And, of course, beyond the wrestling – there's a really good story going on. Akbar's at ringside. This man is not a member of his army, but he's obviously there on his behalf. If he injures Murdoch, like you said, he will be collecting on this bounty, uh, whether Akbar wants to admit it or not. And they have a good back and forth match. We'll discuss it on the other side in a moment, but let's play some audio here of the finish of this match. Fist to the head. Skandar Akbar. Hangman's going for an abdominal stretch, and Murdoch's trying to... Agbar's up there. looks like he's going to try to take advantage of... Oh! I think he tried to hit Murdoch, and he caught his own man. It sounded like that big old helmet. That Marine helmet Murdoch catches in there. And there goes Hangman into the famous brain buster taught Murdoch by Killer Carl Cox, that old ex-Marine. One, two, three. Now Murdoch's going back to reclaim retake his land just like the marines did in iwo jima oh he's got that tool he's got that entrenching chip watch out murdoch the one-man gang murdoch firing back the one-man gang anytime you get akbar harris has got the hanging rope they're hanging dick murdoch they're hanging dick murdoch grizzly smith better get some help out there boy the hangman with a noose around murdoch Iron Mike Sharp, Jesse Barr. Dick Murdoch is the winner, and we'll be back with more action after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. One of those great Bill Watts comments that may be out of place. 
comparing this to the Marines and Iwo Jima. I don't know if there's any comparison whatsoever between these two scenarios, but he does a lot going on here, Mike. Uh, as they talked about, uh, the one-man gang comes out there and starts beating up Dick Murdoch. Well, let me take a step back. Akbar gets in the ring with Murdoch's backpack, and it's actually really done well. He swings it right into Rick Harris's head, and the place pops. And then Rick Harris gets hit with the brain buster and pinned. Akbar's on the floor. He tries to get the shovel. Dick Murdoch comes out. The gang gets him backs him up as they're fighting and they're actually hanging Dick Murdoch with a hangman's noose from the ring before Iron Mike Sharp and Jesse Barr make the save. What'd you think of all this? You summarized it well. Um, I wanted the only thing I'll add is when Akbar accidentally hits Harris with the backpack, Harris takes a very, very nice bump the way he falls backwards. Like you would expect someone who just kind of got, you know, hit and didn't expect it. He just throw oh, Tim Berg and he gets and he goes backwards. But Akbar takes another one of his fabulous bumps to the outside after he hits Harris and Murdoch hits Akbar. Akbar takes that flopping bump through the ropes that I just have seen him take a million times. Just really done well. And yeah, Watts, I don't know if I'd compare it to the Marines at Iwo Jima when Murdoch was getting hung, but you know, it's pro wrestling. Uh, do we want to address the referees just kind of not really worried about the fact that Akbar's in there with a backpack and he had intentions at swinging it at Murdoch, but you know, it's like, we're not going to address that. We'll just let this thing play out. I think we romanticize Brian about certain things in wrestling and it's not as tight as we remembered it, but it's still entertaining and it's still good and we enjoy it. But uh, the Mid-South refs, they let a lot of stuff fly. <laughs> well, of course, this is Rick Ferreira, who we've seen wrestle many times just a couple yes. weeks ago. He's a replacement referee because, like we brought up last time, Jack Howe is not here. Jerry Usher, the senior referee, I think he burned himself out by doing two matches on the same show. So he's not doing this right now. Uh, so we'll talk more about the refereeing. But one other thing I do want to say, in my eyes, Hangman Rick Harris was more impressive in his debut match against Murdoch than Duggan was. And of course, not comparing the two in their careers, and Jim Duggan would become a Mid-South legend and really, really great. But based on first appearances, I thought Hangman Rick Harris's match with Murdoch was much better than Duggan's a few weeks ago. I agree, and they win a good six to seven minutes, which I know someone will say, oh, that's not really a lot. Well, I mean, it is for a, only a one-hour TV show where you've got literally 42 minutes of actual time where you're you're actually recording without commercials. So um, I, I thought... I thought he looked good, man. I mean, Bart, Black Bart in general, he wasn't – I don't know if he was – He was. I hear people talk about him like he was terrible. I just think he may have had certain titles put on him that wasn't really deserving. But, I mean, he's not a bad wrestler. He was a – I thought he was – I thought he was fine for what he was. I don't have – I mean, I don't have anything negative really to say about him. I've met him before. He, he's a pretty nice guy too. It was later in life obviously, not, not any time near this time or in the 90s or whatever. But, um, yeah, I thought I – thought, Bart looked really good here. I say Bart, you know what I mean? Harris, I thought he was really good here against Murdoch. I think so too. And from there, Mike, we go to another match. The one-man gang with General Skandar Akbar against Coco Samoa with Alfred Neely as the referee. We saw this match just a few weeks back here on the show and similar result here. I'll give the result right now. The one-man gang wins after an elbow drop following a back suplex. But there's a few things Bill Watts says on commentary here that I think are really interesting. The first. You and I have just tried to summarize that previous segment. Let's hear Bill Watts try to tie that whole thing together. Alfred Neely with the bell. Bill, this should be another wild one as it continues. Well, boy, Pierce, I think everybody's still a little bit concerned about Dick Murdoch. 
I did go see him during the commercial break, and they had him over by the stairway. And and no matter what, when you get choked, whether it's by a rope or by the hands, the first thing you got to be sure is that their blood is flowing through the carotid arteries, and to be sure that they're breathing. And you've got to kind of get that, make sure their heart's pumping, and that they 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 heart starts. You shock them into taking that next breath. And so we administered to Dick Murdoch similar to the way they that uh, Mr. Olympia administers after putting a man out with a sleeper, thanks to quick thinking by Coco Samoa and Iron Mike Sharp, two of the next men in the next two matches who were on standby. They got to Dick Murdoch and saved him from the one-man gang because had the uh, that hangman and the one-man gang been able to stretch him like a tug-of-war with that rope, Dick Murdoch could have been seriously, seriously injured, which I'm sure Skandar Akbar would have loved to see Dick Murdoch miss that tour. But also, let me tell you something about Dick Murdoch. When you pick on him, I'll guarantee you one thing about the big Texan. He's going to find a way to get even, and he's not bashful about his tactics. And there, Coco Samoa showing some new moves. You just can't go in there and push with 450 pounds when you weigh about 240. When he said Coco Samoa is showing new moves, I think he jumped out of the ring. I don't know what new moves exactly he was showing there, but Watts recaps the previous segment, Dick Murdoch, really getting across how serious it was. Although I guess comparing it to being woken up from the sleeper hold isn't the best way to do it. I mean, all they do is what slap you in the middle of your back and that wakes you up from that slumber. But Watts ties it all together. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. I mean, let's be real. The man was hung for a little while and that's a pretty serious thing, especially in the South. So uh, it probably was good for him to not that. <laughs> not that getting hung anywhere north wherever is is not serious my point is um I, I would think yeah he he wanted to mention a few things about it and he did he got the point across he he did make it sound like he, murdoch was about to die he's like you know you have to be shocked we got to make sure that heart's still beating um and again he wasn't hung for long but it was long enough to where hey man this is this is pretty serious here so um yeah one of the first hangings that i saw in pro wrestling would have been that one but it was a good good nice little wrap up i watched there guys are being hanged on tv Guys are using shovels right in front of the referees. What does it take to get fined in Mid-South Wrestling? Well, Bill Watts has an answer for that. Let's go to this right now. All right, Ralph Neely and uh, Ricky Ferrara consulting with head referee Jerry Usher about the possibility of a fine. He maybe have to uh, be sent to Charlie Lay in Tampa because the match was over. And Murdoch had a, was fighting Akbar and the one-man gang who was not in. It's hard to find him for action, not in a part of the match. That's why sometimes these men have to settle a difference in what we call a lights-out match, which is a one-fall, no disqualification, not sanctioned by Mid-South. Anything goes. Well, there we go. The hanging happened after the bell, so there's nothing Mid-South Wrestling could do to uh, to hurt what? Akbar and his men. You know, and to be honest, that's not nearly as bad Like the, when Murdoch gets hung right there as when Dr. Tom got hung, because when Dr. Tom got hung, a freaking police officer sat there and watched it. <laughs> so at least we didn't have Shreveport's finest from the Shreveport Police Department sitting there watching him get hung and not doing anything. So I guess this is a little bit more acceptable. And because it was after the match, like Watt said, you know, probably won't be a fine. And we'll let those guys settle their differences in a lights out match. Our next match, Mike, on this program is the Assassin teaming up with the North American champion Bob Roop against Iron Mike Sharp and a newcomer Mike Hudspeth with Ricky Ferrara as the referee once again. Uh, We'll talk about the results in a moment, but Bill Watts during this match had a few words about the tag team division 
and specifically the junkyard dog's place in it. Thought this was interesting. Let's hear some of this. Well, without a doubt, the Reuben, Reuben the Assassin, the North American champion and the most cunning, experienced mask man in wrestling today, could be a formidable team and could certainly rank high in the contendership for a tag team title event with the junkyard dog and Mr. Olympia. After all, it was Reuben the Assassin that hold a victory no matter what we think of it, in the record books over Ernie Ladd and Ted DiBiase. Another big team, a huge team, a monstrous team, Super Destroyer and Big John Studd from Atlanta, the international tag champions, have contacted Grizzly Smith about wanting to arrange a title match against the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia. So though, although sometimes titles seem to have a bigger standing by the international name, Without a doubt, the title most desired in the tag team annals in the country is the coveted Mid-South belt. So the Junkyard Dog attracts a lot of traffic wherever he is. And Mr. Olympia, being his partner, becomes a target, just as Mike George was, just as Terry Orndorff was. You go back and listen the Junkyard Dog's partner, and my friend, it comes down to something like a machine gun in, in, in armed warfare that the lifespan does not very long, so to speak, you're, you're a marked man, and everybody's trying to plug at you to get at the dog. As Dick Murdoch had happened to him not too many months ago. Well, there you hear it a little bit about how coveted the tag team titles are in Mid-South, and I'm guessing they really are because the dog and Olympia come out later on with no belts, so they must be coveted. We're probably trying to figure out who has them at this point <laughs> in time here on the show. But uh, a good tag team match. Any thoughts on the comments there, Mike, or on this tag team match once again? The Assassin and Bob Root versus Iron Mike Sharp and Mike Hudspeth? Well, I, th I just think Watts does a good job of putting over his Mid-South tag champs when he talks about the Super Destroyer and Big John Stud international tag champs, you know, wanting a shot at JYD and the Olympia. So I, I thought that was good. You know, he's basically selling his product. One thing from the match, there was a, kind of something cool at the very beginning. I don't know the last time I've seen this, but... Mike Sharp has the assassin in like an arm bar and he's literally lifting up the assassin off the ground and slamming him back down while he's in this arm bar. I don't know. I just thought it was a pretty, just, just a nice little touch to basically an arm bar instead of just sitting there in it. So that happened, but uh, yeah, nothing much. All I had was the assassin actually hits a, he hits a pretty good drop kick for a big man his size, the way he gets up. And uh, he hit Hudspeth with it and assassin and Roop get the pinfall and win for the team. From there, we move on to a big debut, one that, of course, would be the debut of someone who would become synonymous with Mid-South Wrestling and the UWF, Dr. Death Steve Williams. And he makes his debut here against the Turk. Let's hear a little bit of commentary as we start this. Alfred Neely's the referee, but let's hear the debut of Steve Dr. Death Williams. Introduction, Steve Dr. Death Williams versus the Turk, dressed in black. Alfred Neely calls for the bell. Bill, we've been waiting for this one. Oh boy, I tell you, I think I'm about as nervous in anticipation for this young man as he is. 22 years old, four-time All-American heavyweight, University of Oklahoma, the starting guard for Barry Switzer's Oklahoma Sooner football team, making his first professional debut here on television. He, I know how nervous he is. He's, he's visited my home, stayed with me. His coach, Stanley Abel, I know how excited and proud we are. We've watched this young man. It'll take a while for him to transition to the pros. But I'll tell you, he's got all the skills and all the all the finer attributes, and he's got the heart and the courage. I've been training with him and 
trying to help him in the transition. The Turk is a tough one to put him against the first time. The man's got a great international wrestling background. Tremendous amount of amateur experience. Dr. Death in for a fireman's carry. Going for the fall. Turk is out. Steve, Dr. Death Williams, and he was named Dr. Death at his high school in Lakewood, Colorado. Had a broken nose, and he wore a ski mask into the match. Turk going behind, trying to take the doc down. The doc is powerful on his feet. Look at him step through those leg trips. Sits through right into the Turk flying mare. Reverse headlock. And when all the kids saw the doc coming out in that ski mask, Boyd Pierce, they started chanting, Dr. Death, Dr. Death, and the name has stayed with him all through his career. And he was a second in the nation this year at the national finals at Iowa State University. He beat the former, the last year's national champion, Bannock from Iowa, in a great match. Well, let's stop it there, Mike, because uh, Bill Watts will keep going on and on about the accolades of Dr. Death, Steve Williams, but he's been building him up for weeks. Here he finally is. For those who are familiar with Dr. Death later in his career, a few years later or in Japan, whatever it may be, how would you describe Dr. Death in terms of appearance and in terms of how he is in the ring right here for his debut? Well, one, you can definitely tell he's Dr. Death. I mean, because he's got the beard and the, I guess the hair is short. He ends up growing it longer. But just from the beard and in the face, he he pretty much looks like Dr. Death. Where he doesn't look like the Dr. Death many people are probably used to from later in his career, even just, God, man, just two to three years later in Mid-South looks totally different is he's definitely not as um, – not as buff, not as cut as he would become. He also loses the singlet and goes with the trunks. I mean, he's got his Oklahoma singlet on here. Uh, he definitely gets a tan as well. But the, the last thing is you can tell he really, really, really grew as a pro wrestler in a short amount of time because you can watch this match in appearance-wise, I just described it, but his – moves. He was very hesitant. He was unsure. He doesn't look terrible, but you can really tell like it's this is new to him. He's an amateur and this whole pro thing is completely new. Uh completely completely new. He just he almost I don't want to say he looks lost, but he looks hesitant numerous times like he'll do something the Turk will go down and he just waits. It's like he doesn't know what to do next. Um other than that, he grows a long way. I mean, he just his appearance and everything he ends up doing in just a couple of years is light years away from where he is now. So not terrible, but you, you can tell he just was very, very young here when it comes to pro wrestling. Only 22 years old, and he's massive. I think this is probably the biggest Dr. Death ever was. He is just a big, big guy here. And I'm not talking big in terms of muscular, uh, although right. he's obviously very strong, but he is just massive here. And he ends up beating the Turk with, of course, the Oklahoma Stampede, which Bill Watts would give him as his finisher. And there it is. The debut of Dr. Death Steve Williams will be seeing and hearing a lot from him in the weeks and years ahead here at Mid-South Wrestling. From there, we get a tag team match. The Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team Champions, the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia, without their tag team belts, as I said earlier, versus Randy Bass. And Jim Starr, we have not seen these two men before, and they look like they're from another world, <laughs> or at least another another territory in another decade. A very interesting undercard tag team here, Mr. Bass and Mr. Starr. Would you say so, Mike? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have no clue who these guys were. My only note from this, like, to be honest, is, well, not my only note, but one of the things I just remember as a kid is, 
I've said this numerous times when, when the dog came out, it was a Sunday afternoon. I'm watching this back home in new Orleans and I didn't care who he was wrestling. All I know is I got to hear another one bites the dust and I got to hear JY and I got to see JYD on my TV. And I just, this things like this always just bring good memories back to me from a, from my childhood and, you know, falling in love with pro wrestling as a young kid. So, but these two guys they're wrestling against, I, I don't, I don't really remember if we see much more of them. I think we probably do, but uh, no memory of any of them and what they end up doing. I, I actually was going to ask you, you're, you're, you're a better historian than me when it comes to all around and various territories. I was going to ask you if you remember these guys from anywhere. Not really. Randy Bass kind of looks like Big Bully Busick if he was neither big or a bully. But other than that, I really don't know who these guys are. But we have a few <laughs> notes from this match. Uh, by the way, Rick Ferreira, once again, the referee. And Bill Watts talks a little bit about JYD and Olympia winning the tag team titles and what they've been up to. Let's listen to this right now. JYD and Mr. Olympia, the Mid-South Tag Team Champions. Like I say, Big John Studd, Super Destroyer. Calling, they want to try him on Versailles. Bob Roop. The Assassin, the one-man gang, and the Grappler. All these teams. Seems like Akbar's army's running a little short right now. The junkyard dog of Mr. Olympia beat Seeker, the mighty Samoan warriors, May the 5th in Jackson, Mississippi. And they had return bouts with them. No disqualification. They said they wanted settled once and for all. And in the no disqualification rule matches, they decisively beat Seeker, the Samoan warriors. I mean, they just whipped them from pillar to post. They showed them that when they, they're released from the obligation of trying to uphold the rules, that they can mix it with the best of them. Skander Akbar is looking for new talent. He's disgusted. Akbar will show his people where loyalty lies. He expects their loyalty, but it's not necessarily returned. They better be thinking about that because when they don't perform to his standards, he fires them and get rid, gets rid of them. Now, I'm going to pause it here, Mike. There's more audio I want to play, but something really interesting is happening in that the referee seems to have no idea what's going on, and he counts three when no one else thinks he's counted three. So he basically just stops the match, and he raises JYD's hand. That's why the match just ended. The fans didn't react. Bill Watts didn't react. He kept talking. But three was just counted, and... I mean, have you picked up on this? Like, no one knows what's yeah. going on. Yeah, I actually think JYD. All right, so Jay, let me set the scene. JYD power slams one of these guys, uh, or does the thump uh, on one of these guys. I'm not even sure which one it was, but Randy the way Bass. he hits it, Randy Bass. The way he hits it, the way he twirls him around. In my mind, that tells me that's the finish, because when JYD would do that, especially with enhancement talent, they're not going to kick out. I mean, they're nobody's going to save them. Generally that's the finish. The problem was Jim star comes in the ring as dog plants, um, base on the ground. So <laughs> it like Rick Ferrara, he actually makes a mistake too. When he drops down the, when his hand hits the mat, as he's dropping down that I think, JYD like in his mind is like that's the one count when actually it wasn't but it was but you can hear the slap so then Rick Ferrar hits two or hits hits the one that JYD then may have thought was a two the but the problem was star feeds into the ring and JYD sees him is like oh hell no I know you ain't about to come in here and try to break this up so JYD gets up 
as Rick Ferrar has only hit the one count that JYD thought may have been that we think is also the two count. He hits the guy. The guy bounces out. But Rick Ferrar, while all this is going on, is like, all right, match is over. <laughs> They're done. No bell, no nothing. And it's just a very confusion, confusing finish. But in the end, like even on the replay, as Mid-South does those transitions on their episodes, they show that as the finish. So I think that was supposed to be the finish. I just think JYD was like, man, you ain't about to come in here and put a boot to me while I'm trying to pin this guy. And that's why Dog got up before the actual three count, even though Dog completely gets up and Rick Ferrara finishes the count. He counts without, without the dog covering him. He keeps counting right. without any pin. Right. <laughs> it was awesome. It's good. It was a mess up. I mean, oh, boy. These referees are out kind of control. Funny. These referees are out of control lately. I'll tell you. But yes, like I said, Watts wasn't done. Even Watts was taken by surprise as to what just happened. So he has a little bit more he wants to say. And this time it's about Georgia championship wrestling. Let's hear this. You know, you've seen many of these athletes after they've been in the Mid-South area pairing on championship wrestling from Georgia. And that should give you a clue as to the difference in the caliber, although that's on the satellite and gets boosted all over the nation. It's the guys that can't make it here, that can't sustain it here, that go to Atlanta because the guys that are the toughest in the world are right here. And the victors, Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia, Mid-South Tag Team Champions. We still have more action coming up after this message from Mid-South Wrestling. It's so weird. I mean, while this is happening, Rick Ferraro just leaves. The, the, it ends with Randy Bass alone in the ring. And he kicks the bottom rope out of disgust, I guess, for what just happened. But uh, one other thing, I don't know if they're talking specifically about the Samoans here or who, but those return matches that Bill Watts talks about after the JYD and Olympia won the tag titles, I don't think those matches happened. Those no disqualification matches around the territory, I don't think that happened. They lost the tag titles and they were out of there pretty quickly. Did that, it, and even if that's the case, that actually would make sense because all Watts would have been doing there. I don't know if like, I don't think he was trying to bury them at all. He just is trying to explain, Hey, they got their entitled rematch and the dog and JYD were so tough in these lights out matches or no DQ matches. Actually, there are no DQ matches that they retain the belt and that's it. So he, in my mind, he was just furthering the story that we never see on TV between these two teams, just to kind of reiterate, Hey, they got their rematches and you know what? The JYD and Olympia couldn't, you know, they didn't lose. They they retained the belts, and that was it. That was his way of kind of sending them off. Uh, the the whole Georgia thing right there was, I mean, that's just a sign of things to come. Where Watts just just loves burying people, including well, he loved burying the WWF later on. But you know what I mean? Is that's just that's just Bill Watts. And it's interesting too because I believe at this point in time, Bill Watts is still a ten percent owner of the Georgia office. I believe this is before he sold the ten percent stock to Ole Anderson. I could be wrong, but it would have happened in 1982. So it would have happened at some point during this calendar year. So that's the other interesting dynamic is the fact that Watts had a longstanding relationship and at times was the booker on, you know, in Georgia championship wrestling just a couple of years earlier. And in terms of who he's talking about, who wrestled in Georgia around this time in May of 1982, looking at some Georgia cards, you see some people who had been in there. I mean, John Studd and the Super Destroyer were mentioned. They uh, or on the cards at this point in time. Trying to see who else really, Buzz Sawyer, Leroy Brown, Leroy Brown obviously had a long history in Mid-South Wrestling, but 
I'm not sure who exactly Watts is kind of going off on, but someone definitely triggered something. And by the way, just so you know, the week this show is May 29th, 1982, on that same day on TBS TV, Ted DiBiase was on that program. So who knows what's going on? Yeah, see, that's that's weird. I mean, and I, I, I bet Watts, if you would ask him about it now, he, he probably wouldn't quite remember the exact reference. I mean, this is a long time ago and so much happens, but um, that is it's just a weird reference when he starts. Because I was like, I'm, when I'm watching it back, I'm going, is he taking a shot at Georgia? What? Yeah, I mean, like literally, I was like, what the heck's that about? Because he doesn't name anyone specifically, like what he does when the WWF years later, where he just starts, you know, basically taking, you know, firing torpedoes at at Vince. He just kind of casually just mentions it. It's like, what is he talking about? Um, you know, may, and maybe it was a work too. Maybe it was just kind of him just throwing it out there, uh, just to put over his promotion, and he really didn't mean it. Well, who knows? But um, that's interesting that DiBiase was on their TV this exact same week. So I didn't know that. And actually, now that I look, there are rematches that did take place in May between the Samoans and JYD and Olympia. And it does appear that they do, in fact, go to Georgia from here. So there is something going on there. Uh, That is interesting. And then the other thing is, Mike, I think a lot of these promoters started hearing it from people as the satellite and as cable television grew. Even though this was their local promotion, they're hearing, hey, when is Tommy Rich coming to town? When is this person coming to town? And you do kind of have to maybe make a statement to defuse that and say, even though it's on cable, it doesn't mean they're better than us. So I, I kind of think that's where Watts is coming from here. That's, you know what, that's possibly it too. And you got to remember the magazines as well, like PWI, because I know as I started around this time frame, uh, I would, I would see the magazines on, you know, at the local drugstore and I'd like pick it up and, when you're a kid, it's like your world just opens up and you're like, holy crap. And then you're thumbing through that. And I'm going, all these other promotions and wrestlers, where's the hell is this coming from? Because for me at the time, this is all I was getting. I think we started getting world-class later this year. I, 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 I can never remember the exact year we started getting world-class um, on a Sunday night really late, but yeah, it, it's just a weird like thing. Like where you, you're right. As wrestling fans, you start, noticing and start remembering that or or finding out I should say not noticing and remember but you start finding out that there's actually promotions elsewhere especially for people who had cable who were seeing all this stuff coming from other places because that's a big thing I mean it's like then all of a sudden you're seeing this on the cable and it's like whoa where's all this coming from who's this and this guy's on cable is he a bigger deal than my local guy that I'm watching on the you know local channel 26 every week it's a uh, I mean that's a it doesn't seem like much now but back then that was huge I believe that's why the Funks sold Amarillo was fans started coming up to them and asking about wrestlers from Georgia and Terry Funk, who's always been one of the smartest guys in wrestling and able to see a trend realized we're not going to be able to fight this. You know, this is one program who knows how many it'll be and who knows what'll happen, but he sold Amarillo or, you know, the Funks, they sold Amarillo because of that. But moving on here with this show, Mike, one final match here this week, Jesse Barr versus Billy the Starchild Star, I'm assuming no relation to Jim Starr from the previous match and the great tag team of Randy Bass and Jim Starr. We get no finish here, Alfred Neely is the referee, but time runs out. A good little back and forth match here. Yeah, a good little back and forth match, and this is, I guess, now becoming known as the remaining TV time match that we, you know, kind of joke about each and every week, but uh, the the... Yeah, back and forth. I mean, I don't know what you expect from these two at this point. They're kind of two uh, undercard guys, and 
and whatnot. But uh, Watts does mention <laughs> on one note ahead. Watts mentions the finish of the last match that we talked about, where uh, it seemed that there was either a mess up or Ricky Ferraro was like heck with it and just kept counting. Uh, Watts says. It happened so fast, uh, he didn't even see it. He missed it. <laughs> no one saw it. Watts <laughs> kept talking. The dog didn't know what was going on. The fans didn't react. The heels didn't react. No one except the referee, who counted a phantom pin, had any idea well, what was going on. Real quick on that. I saw it as I was watching it and taking notes. And that's why I was like, oh, well, let me rewind that. Did I, did I just see what I thought I saw? <laughs> and because it's, it's, kind of, it's so amusing because you see Dog get up and Ricky Ferrara literally doesn't blink. He's like, one, two, three. As Dog is up, nowhere near the guy. He's, Dog is throwing a punch to the other dude. And Ricky Ferrara has got tunnel vision. He's just like, one. Two, three. I like. Wait. So I watched it a, a bunch of times. That's why. But now, it, could it have been missed? Yes, because if you watch Dog, if your eyes stay on Dog and punching the guy, you would have no clue that Ricky Ferrar kept counting. But it was just kind of funny the way he just kept counting with his tunnel vision. He's just like, oh no. And but Watts is over there. He didn't see it. He's like, I guess I missed it. It happened too quick. Makes a joke out of it. Good stuff. This is a lot for Charlie Lay to have to deal with, especially being in Tampa, nowhere near all this. But the referee situation needs to be dealt with. They are out of control, and senior referee Jerry Usher, nowhere to be seen this week. Jack Howe, come back. We really need you. You kept law and order, believe it or not. You kept law and order running during these matches. But with that, Mike, another fun episode of Mid-South Wrestling in the books. And as we wrap things up, I want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts. And you can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605Pod. And, of course, you can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite wrestling podcast, classic wrestling talk, and wrestling humor, the 605 Super Podcast, all episodes in the archive, available for free at 605pod.com. Mike, as we wrap things up, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and booking the territory? Please follow me on Twitter. That's at Mike504Saints. I try my best to answer and reply to nearly every single uh, tweet that I get, especially related to the show. If I miss it, trust me, it wasn't intentional. It's just that sometimes between working a family and cutting podcasts, it can get difficult. But again, it's at Mike504Saints. And then you can listen to Booking the Territory twice per week. The shows drop on Thursdays and Sunday nights. We do an NWA Saturday night show on Thursdays and on Sundays. We are into nearly episode 130 of the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Podcast. We are actually, as of this airing of this Mid-South show, we are coming up on the time when, as Bob Cottle says, the gangsters come into Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which is a lot of fun uh, to me. I've, I've, I get a kick out of the gangsters setting the territory on fire and uh, making it so that in the small towns, as Jim Cornette says, nobody wanted to come because they just had so much heat. People were like, we're not supporting this. But anyway, check us out. Again, search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from. Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, uh, anywhere you get your podcast, we are at. Again, just search Booking the Territory. Or you can get them on the, on the web at tinyurl.com slash bttpod. It is known as the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast for a reason. So you have been warned, Doc. Hardbody Harper and I, we have a good time and do a lot of cussing, but we have a lot of fun talking old school wrestling. That's all I got, Brian, man. The Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production 
of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Mm-hmm.